Now let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture readings are from the New Revised Standard Version Bible, and our first reading is from Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At that time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Our next reading for today comes from Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely, therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom we have now received reconciliation. So the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This week, we look at a familiar theme that I think we still need to hear. That theme is the idea that God loves. I bring it up because I think we can underestimate God's love. We either forget the depth of God's love or we shy away from it. And it can be hard to accept that love because it means we accept that the love is both for us and for others. And it can be hard because we can be limited by our own ability to love. And it holds us back from understanding just how much God 
could love us. I say this because of the way that we talk about each other. Often when we talk about others, if we aren't saying something in love, it is because we are holding something back ourselves. Because if we loved the way that God loves us, we wouldn't hesitate to love at all. We wouldn't hesitate to love how we do hesitate. We wouldn't hold back the way that we do if we could fully embrace the love God has for us. Because when God shows us how expansive his love for us is, we don't always know how to respond. And if we aren't sure how to respond, sometimes we just don't respond at all. And if we have trouble responding to God's love, it means we are struggling to reflect that love. And that starts when we have trouble accepting that love for ourselves. I'll be straight with you here. I think we have so many issues with people being judgmental and hurtful because of a failure to accept God's love. Too often, people are ready to talk about love without being able to live it. All because they have trouble accepting that love. Bear with me here. We often try to think about if someone is worthy or not of God's love. And we get hung up on the way God should be punishing us. We can get so focused on that that we frame love as the relief from deserved punishment. It isn't framed in a way that celebrates just how expansive God's love is, but in a way that looks at punishments we should have received. Instead of experiencing the exaltation of having judgment taken away, we can only understand the love by judging. If I walked up to you and said that I know you loved me because you didn't punch me in the face today, you might wonder if I'm all right. But we do this all the time with God's love. We think that an escape from punishment is the extent of love instead of a sign that we are loved. Too often the idea is that love is that we are forgiven when we should be celebrating that we are forgiven because we are loved. It isn't that we can be loved because we're forgiven, but that we are forgiven because we were already loved. But we can get so focused on the punishment side of things. And I think it's because we start thinking about how we want people to be punished. That we want God's love to be for us and not for the wrong people. We think that God's love needs to be limited to those who are worthy. And that isn't the picture that scripture paints for us. We begin to see this in our reading from Zephaniah. And the idea here is that judgment comes with a promise of hope. That we are called to sing aloud and to rejoice because God has taken away judgment. Jerusalem is told that God will renew you in his love and will exalt over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. God singing over us. 
God will save the lame and gather the outcast, changing shame into praise. God, like a good shepherd, will gather his people to him. Zephaniah says that God will sing and rejoice over us. Not just do we sing aloud to God, but God sings aloud over us. Not because we have made ourselves worthy, but because we have been renewed in God's love and had judgment removed from us. That we will be shown God's love and we will understand God's care and concern for us. And we see this in Christ. Because this is echoed in Paul's letter to Rome. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have shame, we have hope. We can hold our heads up in difficult times because God's love is with us. It has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we would know God's love is with us. Paul then drives this home, and we can miss this one. What happened when we were still weak? Christ died for the ungodly. It's rare enough that someone might dare to die for a righteous person, but Christ died while we were still sinners. Paul didn't say that Christ died for everyone who already turned from sin. Paul is not saying Christ died for the righteous. Paul is saying that Christ died for the ungodly and the unrighteous. Christ died for the sinners. Now one of the things that can get lost here is that we start thinking about being saved by Christ's life and we try to move too quickly from our being reconciled. But Paul drives this home that if we could be reconciled to God through Christ when we are enemies of God, how much deeper is that love when we accept it? We can miss the point here by focusing on the us versus them mentality of those who are saved against those who are not. But that initial point should be guiding us. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for the unworthy. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the unrighteous. Now we might not take that fully in at first, but I want that idea to settle in. Because this question needs to be at the forefront of our minds. Who did Christ die for? Take a moment to reflect on this. Just to let it sink in. Christ died for sinners. Right? Okay, so now I want you to name someone who is not a sinner. I would like you to pick out one person who is without sin. 
silence? Why? As we are reminded ourselves so often, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But in God's great love, God has seen fit to redeem us. God's love is demonstrated by the fact that Christ died while we were yet sinners. Even when we are counter to what God desires, God forgives us because he loves us. He didn't demand that we make ourselves righteous first. No, God recognizes us as broken people and flawed individuals. Yet God still saw fit to redeem us in his love. This is where things get tricky, though. Who is it Christ loved so much that he would die so that they could truly experience love? Sinners. Who did God's love overflow for to the point that he would reach out and love us before we even knew how to love him? Sinners. So answer me this. Who is it that God does not love? Difficult question? Here's another one. Who is it that you do not love? Don't answer that out loud. I don't want to start any fights. But how does your answer to one question impact how you answer the other? We often try to justify our inability to love others through the judgments we pass on them. We judge others on if they are worthy of our love. But who did Christ judge as worthy of love? Sinners. God tells us he is removing judgment so we will understand how deep his love is. Not that we will pass judgment on everyone else if they are unworthy or worthy of that love. God didn't show us this great love so that we could decide who's in and who's out. God didn't show us this great love so that we could decide we don't need to love. But we can make the best excuses. We will figure out what it is others are doing that keeps them from God's love. We'll say it's because someone isn't living their life right. Have you been able to keep from sin by living your life right? And please tell us how you're pulling that off. Because I would love to know. Maybe we claim that we can't love because they live in sin. Here's a great question. Have you sinned in the way you are living? Yet God loves you. Here's the really hard one. Can you tell me every sin that you have committed? Even the wrongs you did without knowing it? Now, can you tell me which one made God stop loving you? 
None of them. If I accept that I am redeemed in Christ because Christ first loved me, then that means that I should love others before I expect anything from them. If I can be forgiven because of love, then I can forgive because of love. We aren't called to decide who is worthy of love, but we are called to love so that we grow deeper in that love, both in the love of God and the love of one another. Because God's love has flowed into our hearts and the best response we can have is to love because we are loved. But every time that we deny that love to someone else, it's because in our hearts we are saying that we, we don't deserve God's love. Every time we turn someone away because we can't love them, it's because we can't accept that Christ loves us. Every time that we hold back our love, we hold back because we think God should hold back on us. I was reminded of this last week as we celebrated communion for all saints. And there is a point in the liturgy that is a very powerful moment for me. And I have to admit that I did not believe my friend and mentor when Wally said that this would change me. He was preparing me for my very first time in leading that communion liturgy. He told me that it would change me. He was right. And it was from the simplest of statements. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. That didn't change me. I said it, and I believed it. But it was what happens next that got me. Because the response is in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Sometimes I feel like I need to add a third time we say it, where after I say it to you and you say it to me, that we turn to all the people we can to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Because I remember the first time and every time since then when I say those words and I hear all of you say them back to me It's that moment that I really experience God's love best. Because I can see the way that God enables us to forgive each other. And one of the most painful and difficult things we can do is to forgive, but God makes it happen. And it's getting that reassurance and that permission to be forgiven. Because God loves us so much that he wants us to be able to forgive and to be forgiven so that we can live. Not that we judge each other so that we can hold each other back. Not that we withhold love so that we can teach a lesson. Not that we decide who is in and who is out. 
But we can forgive and we can show others that kind of love to let them know they are forgiven. Not that they are judged, but that they are forgiven. Not that we wish they were punished, but that they know they are loved. Because when I hear you tell me that I am forgiven, I can hear Christ say it. When you tell me I am forgiven, I can feel the Holy Spirit move and let that love pour into my heart. And it's overwhelming. But I've also discovered that the best response is to let the love overflow so that it flows from one heart to the next. We share God's love so that we all reside in the hope that is Jesus Christ. We share that message of hope that through our risen Savior, we know that we are loved. So let that hope be in our hearts and let love be in our lives. And let God's steadfast love and faithfulness be in all that we are and all that we do. And let it be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.